We're in 1 John chapter 3 today. So we're working our way through this chapter of 1 John, learning the three daily essentials that we need as Christians. A reminder that we are to be like Christ. You need that every day? That reminder? We're to be like Christ. Uh, We spent four weeks on that. Now we're on our four-week section of Love Your Brother. Do you need a reminder of that every now and then, maybe? That's also what we're studying in the middle of this. And then eventually we're going to make it to the third essential we need to remember, and that is to live truth. Alright, so like Christ, love brother, live truth. These three essentials we're learning here in 1 John chapter number 3, and it's a good study. Uh, Today we're going to work our way down uh, to verse number 11 and 12, and 16. Alright, yes, I know, I jumped a little bit here, but let me read it for you and we'll have a word of prayer as we get started. For this is the message, verse 11 begins, this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother, and for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil. His brothers were righteous. And verse 16. We know love by this. That he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Heavenly Father, again, as we do every week, we start right here before your throne and say, Help us, Lord. Help us to understand this passage. Teach it to us. Write it on our heart with some permanent ink. That this is not quickly forgotten, but that we might do that, that you tell us. And we ask, especially today, not just in the motivation to do, but that you give us the strength to do it. For apart from you, we can do nothing. So we are completely dependent upon you at this time, as we open up your word. Teach us, we pray today, Lord, and change us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. As we started last week in this little section on loving our brother, in verse number 10, it actually goes from verse number 10 all the way through verse 17, is the paragraphs I've set aside for this. Um, We saw last week that we have an identity as a child of God. Loving our brother is our identity. That's what the world sees. And that's how they know whether or not we're a child of God. And it said in verse number 10, By this the children of God and the children of devil are obvious. <laughs> obvious. The world can tell the difference, right? It's obvious. How do we know the difference? Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor the one who does not love his brother. So, as we talked about that last week, that's the facts of it. That's, that's our identity. So, we know the importance of this whole point now, don't we? We must love our brother, because that's how people identify who we are. Today, we want to take the next step into these verses I just read, and talk about the manner in which we love our brother. And it's developed for us in these words that we have before us. Um, it doesn't take John to make it, it take him long to make a transition here. He just said in verse number 11 or in verse number 10, to love our brother. And then in verse number 11, he goes to this point, that we should love our brother. 
That transition is very quick. It says, love your brother, and then he says that we should love one another. Who's he addressing? Believers, right? He's addressing the believers. The other believers are our brothers in Christ. So our study today is actually, as you can see in verse number 11, this is a message we heard from the beginning. We're going to look at a at several beginnings here this morning. All right? Beginnings on several fronts. Uh, the beginning of the earth's population soon after creation, the beginning of family relationships, the beginning of righteous and evil deeds, the beginning of hatred, the beginning of murder, the beginning of the believer's command to love, the beginning place where love is made possible, the beginning of love's greatest example, the beginning of the definition of Christian love. We've got a lot of beginnings in this little section, and you only saw the word once. This is what we heard from the beginning. Now, how do you respond to a righteous act? It's kind of interesting, even in this section, there are two different responses to a righteous act. One received the response with hatred. One with a duty to love. We're going to discuss both of those as we work our way through here. And the way that John makes these comparisons today, it's going to leave us with two options. And it comes down to something real simple here. Two options. And I'm willing to state this, and I'm optimistic as we begin, that our choice will be to love our brothers the way Christ loved our brothers and taught us that, and not the way of Cain's. There's your two options. Who are you going to follow? Cain's example or Christ's example? See, I'm optimistic, right? I know which way you're going to choose, even before we begin. But do we really know how Christ loves? Do we really know? That's our big study today. How to love as Christ has shown us. After all, we have learned as we started this passage, we shall be like him, right? Like him in just selective ways that we choose, or like him as he is? you know the answer? We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So we can't be selective here this morning and say, well, I'll be like him in this way, but that's, that, that other way, that's, I'm not comfortable with that. I'm going to pick and choose the way I want to be like him. He is pure. What are we called to be? Pure. He is righteous. What are we called to be? Righteous. John's going to hit you with this one. He says, and he loves. And guess what he's going to call us to do? Love just like him. That's the importance of this passage. I've got an easier question for you as we begin here. Did Cain show love to his brother? Oh, that's an easy one, isn't it? Let's look at it. Verse number uh, 12. Right at the end of verse number 11 and into verse 12. He said at the end of verse number 11 that we should love one another not as Cain. And you could stop right there. That's what he's teaching us. We should love one another not as Cain. Alright? 
So he's going to use a negative example, actually, to teach us how to positively love one another. And then the rest of that verse, verse number 12, he goes into a description of Cain and Cain's actions. Who was Cain? Well, he was of the evil one, it says. And he slew his brother. Those are the two descriptions we have of him immediately. He was of the evil one, and he slew his brother. So, obviously, we looked at this, and you answered very easily. Did Cain show love to his brother? No. How do you know? Because he killed him, right? That's generally not the way you show love, is it? He killed his brother. Let's go to the history of this just for a few minutes. Go back with me to Genesis, chapter number 4, way back to the beginning, right? Genesis, chapter number 4. Let's see what, uh, what the story tells us back here. Starts in verse number 1. Just the first eight verses will be sufficient for us right now. Starts with the fact that there's Adam and there's Eve, and the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. That's kind of a sudden thing, isn't it? In light of the the story as we start to read it, a sudden thing, he killed him. Now, interesting set of words related to this. Uh, If we were studying this morning, not from the English Scriptures or even from the Hebrew Old Testament, but from the Greek translation of the Old Testament, we'd find a very interesting word right here for the word killed. Apokiteno is the word. And that word is, is, uh, kiteno by itself is to kill something. To put an apo in the front intensifies it. He intensely killed. Now, Killing is killing, right? How can you make it more dead than what you started? That's a, it's just a concept that's, that's kind of interesting. But uh, in that, it's an intense killing. Now, to make it more dead, our, our picture is almost this way. Uh, there are a lot of different ways to kill a plant. All right? now, I'm sorry you guys are here today to hear this. Okay. Um, some people just buying it will kill it. Alright? Some people forget to water it. And of course, that kills it. Some people overwater it, and it drowns, and it kills it. You can drop it. You can crush it. Your dog can eat it. Your child can eat it. (laughs) You can neglect it. There's a host of ways, and I think we've perfected most of them. 
how to kill a plant. Still, you kill it, right? Or, if you want this kind of word put into the picture, you can walk up to that little cute plant and grab it by its stems and yank it out of the pot and shake it a while and then throw it. That's intense. That's called killing your plant, right? You got the picture of a word all of a sudden? This, this wasn't just he killed him. But the, the, the Greek word means he extinguished him. He abolished him. That's pretty intense. Now, you say, wow, really? Okay, let's see if the Hebrew word maybe is, is a little softer in this word. Uh, harag is the word. It means to kill, to slaughter. Does it sound like this is getting better? To slaughter. Um, the emphasis is on a violent killing. Um, now, what's interesting about this word is that the way it, it's meant in the word to slaughter, it wasn't that like they were taking sacrifices up and they were killing them for a sacrifice or anything like that. But this word slaughter has behind it a, a mentality that this is justifiable. All right? I have every good reason to kill this person. And that's the word. And that's the attitude that goes with it. Um, one Hebrew source, as I read through that, said, it's a kind of killing that denies God's image in man. It has no regard for the fact that man was made in the image of God. It's there to slaughter that person. Not a pretty word. Not a pretty word at all. Now, with that story in our, in our thinking, John starts to write about it here in 1 John chapter 3, as you see in verse number 12. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. Now, what's interesting is that's a third word to discuss. It's different than the other two. And even though John is writing in Greek as well, he didn't choose to use that word that they had in Hebrew. They didn't choose the word that the Septuagint used. But John chose another word, spazo, is the word. Spazo is, is the word to butcher. It gets more and more intense, doesn't it? To butcher. Now, this is the picture that John is using to show Cain's hate-filled actions. It was more than just striking down Cain or Abel, right? There was something more to it than that. Uh, perhaps you could add his opinion. God had just told him something, right? Told him how he could make the sacrifice correct. And Cain did not choose to go God's way. God expected a blood sacrifice, obviously from the text. And here Cain has an attitude about it, doesn't he? Why won't he just take it my way when I offer up my, my uh, produce from the field? He had an attitude against God. He was angry that God had told him that. And he decided that he was going to extinguish anything that condemned him in it. And guess who's standing there? His brother. You see, as John is writing, he said in his gospel, chapter 3, verse 20, that everyone who does evil hates the light. Hates the light. This is exactly what you see in Cain. Cain, I, I'm not going to minimize his crime whatsoever. 
and there's no excuses for it whatsoever. But his murder of his brother was more than just a bad moment, all right, where he lost his head. You can't consider this to be uh, uh, involuntary manslaughter, can you? What he had said in John here, 1 John chapter 3, verse uh, 12, is that Cain was of the evil one, right? He was of the evil one. Satan was in the act, obviously. The Greek phrase John uses here is that Satan is the source. All right? He was of the evil one. There is the idea of a source here. Same construction is used earlier in verse number 8. The one who practices sin is of the devil. John used that earlier in this phrase. We studied that too. But that's the source. The devil had sinned from the beginning. True? We have that record too. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. We saw all that in verse number 8. So if you are of the evil one, as Cain was, your deeds will match, won't they? That's what he's saying. Your deeds will match. They will be evil deeds. Read verse 12 again. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil. Notice the link between the source and the action. The source, he's of the evil one. His actions are evil actions. You can understand as you're reading this with me, the difficulty it makes for us today. All we have to see are the works of man, enough to give us a clue of their relationship with God, right? We see the works of a man, and we say, well, this is our clue as to the relationship with God. What if their works are evil? What if their works are evil? What's the logical explanation we have for the source? What's our, our logical conclusion of their relationships? If we see only evil, this is John's theological punch throughout this chapter. If the things we do, which man sees, are sinful things, is it unfair for people to assume that we are not believers? They see these actions, and is it safe to say that we don't show evidence of a believer? We certainly are showing our deeds. Our deeds are of the evil one. This is a, a logical assumption it implies a relationship. Our deeds show our relationship. Now, what's that all mean? I'll put it down this way. It would absolutely horrify me, and I know it would you, if somebody were to, to look at me and think that I'm an unbeliever. What about you? Would you like somebody to say, eh, there's no evidence. The things that you've done... Tell us you don't have a relationship with God. That would horrify me. John's walking us through this, and he's saying that there is no question when you look at Cain that you know he had a relationship with the evil one, right? There's no doubt in that picture. We see it. His actions show his relationship. And his action was that of killing his brother. Was it violent? Yes, we know that. 
Did he think it was justifiable? Well, only in his mind would we have that answer. But Abel was doing something that made Cain look bad. That's the best conclusion I have. He had to exterminate that condemnation. He didn't consider the humanity of Abel. He did not recognize Abel in the image of God. He said, I'm just going to get rid of the condemnation. And he got rid of Abel. John's simple statement. We should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. It's kind of obvious, isn't it? Not like that. You may say, well, did Cain love his brother? You say, well, no action there. But did they have a relationship? Well, they were brothers, right? They were brothers. Did they go out into the field together? Yeah. Did Abel have any clue that Cain hated him? We don't know, but that doesn't appear to be the case. He went out with him. Could we also assume that maybe Cain was deceptive in his love or his relationship with his brother? He says, hey, come out into the field. Would he have gone if he says, come out in the field so I could kill you? There were some elements of deception had to have been in order to have done this because it was a premeditated concept. So these descriptions set the beginning of a picture for us. And I know it speaks in the negative, but this is how you don't love your brother. You don't love your brother. You don't act in a violent way. That's obvious, right? To kill them. You don't foster an attitude that we become, at least in our thinking, justified in removing our brother because he makes us look bad. He makes us feel condemned for our actions. You know, our world, it's like this in the Christian circle all the time. We don't, we're not comfortable comparing ourselves to God. It says, be holy as I am holy, right? And we, we know that that standard is so incredibly high, we can't even attain to it. And so we're more comfortable with measuring ourselves next to the other person who's walking with us in the Christian world. And so what we do is we think, hey, I'm doing pretty good because he's not doing so great. Right? So every time we see a brother not quite spiritual or holy or righteous or whatever, and we think ourselves a little bit more than that, we're, we kind of pump ourselves up a bit with pride. But turn it around a minute, and what if you're on the other end of it, and this brother is looking more righteous than you are, and that's the only comparison you're making. You start to feel animosity toward that, because it's striking your pride, right? And far too often, we start to think negatively of that person, and what we actually do is say, boy, are they prideful people. (laughs) It's really our own heart. But we're we're judging them for being more spiritual than we are. You see, we're comfortable measuring ourselves side by side with other people. And we think it's some sort of a race that way in order to be who's better. We're aiming that way. And so, the question is, in our attitudes then, in our attitudes, do we feel that we need to eliminate our brother because he makes us look bad? Say, I don't think I do that. 
Have you ever seen it in a family before? Have you ever seen it in a business before? Have you ever seen it in a church before? It's not pretty. I've seen it, and I'm sure you have too. And it might be not to the same extent as killing them, but there's a lot of different ways to get rid of a brother. A lot of different ways. Love does not do that. Love does not ignore the fact that that brother is also in the image of God. Love is not deceptive. John says, this is the way it was from the beginning. The devil sinned from the beginning. Cain sinned from the beginning. Cain killed his brother in the beginning. And that's not a very good beginning, is it? Not good at all. So let's go to the one he really wants to emphasize in these verses. Verse 11. This time I'm going to take Cain entirely out of the picture. Okay? Verse number 11. This is a message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Verse 16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, that we ought to lay down our lives for our brother. Put those two verses together. Who's, who's John talking about in verse 16? He. Who's he? Oh, come on, you know the Lord Jesus Christ, right? He laid down his life. True? Okay. That's who he's going to talk about here. And all the way through this chapter, he says, we are to be like him, right? Like him, like him, like him. And so he's got to put this picture together. He's talking to the believer, and he's talking about how we compare to Christ and how we love our brother. What do we know about John talking to us as believers? Go back to verse 1 for a minute. He said that God has bestowed a great love on us. Isn't that true? Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. That word literally is, He has given it to us. Completely given it to us. What have you been doing with your supply? Do you have it? How much love has God given to you? Five dollars and twenty-five cents worth, right? How much has He given to you? Hasn't He given all His love to you? Now think, think of our God. How much does He have? And He has shared His love with us, right? Behold what manner. He, he can't even come up with a word to describe it, actually. Manner is like big, alright? Behold what manner of love the Father has given so, you have the supply, don't you? It's yours. Wasn't it given to you? You're sure? Okay. You have the supply. What have you been doing with it? What have you been doing with the supply? Don't tell me you don't have enough to share. Alright? Some people say, I just barely get by. I can't give any more love than this. Well, that's not true. He has given you this love. All right? He, his love has made us children of God. Is that true? Yes. Okay. Uh, his love has secured us a future. It says that we shall see Christ. Right? Yes. We are to be like Him. True? Yes. This is all because He loved us so. His love has led to our sins being taken up and away. Isn't that true? 
Aren't you glad for that love too? Our sins have been taken away. His love has destroyed the works of the devil. Isn't that true? We saw all that in these verses as we've studied through. His love motivates us to be pure as he is pure. His love motivates us to be righteous as he is righteous. And so, can we actually say that we have been equipped and blessed with love? Yes. We have been given all this. So, why then do we struggle with loving our brother, who has also been the recipient of this same love that we have, also called a child of God by that same love, also has a secure future. That brother is going to be there with us forever when we see Christ. That brother is going to be like him. And sometimes you say, I wish it hurry. But that brother is going to be like him too. That brother has had his sins picked up and taken away. Isn't that true? Are you starting to see something all of a sudden? Because sometimes we evaluate like, God loves me a lot, but I'm not so sure about that guy. No, God's love is consistent here. And when we're talking about our brother, that same brother is motivated by God's love to be pure as he is pure, to be righteous as he is righteous. Jesus said it from the beginning that we should what? Love our brother. Love our brother. John loves to say that little phrase, from the beginning, from the beginning. He says that First John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we looked at and touched with our own hands concerning the word of life. He says, there was a day when we came to know who Jesus was. We saw him, we heard him, we touched him, all the way from the beginning. And I like this phrase, from the beginning. Because that, that starts the ministry of Christ, perhaps, and all that. But I think it's kind of like this. John would be saying it more like, it's as if I didn't even exist before I met him. This is where it all began, when I met him. And from the very beginning, he's been telling us this. From the very beginning, he started to show us his love, and to teach us his love. From the very beginning, he's done that to us. That eliminates one thing. In our text that we're looking at here in 1 John 3, the love of Jesus and his teaching about loving our brother is not a response to what Cain did to Abel. Understand this. Jesus and the truth and the scriptures are not trying to catch up to what's going on in this world. All right? Some people think we live in this very responsive setting where, you know, something goes wrong and then we've got to find an answer for it. Find an answer for it. That wasn't true. This is what he this is literally the way it works. From the very beginning God intended and initiated this love before there was a world, before there was a Cain. Ephesians 1. You see it very clearly in just this passage Ephesians 1 verse 4 and verse number 5. Go back as far as you can fathom with your mind says in Ephesians 1.4, Just as He chose us before Him, before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him, 
in love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. Even before there was an earth, he loved you. Does that kind of rattle something a little bit up here? It's like, ooh, that's too big. That was before Cain. Understand this, theologically. It is right for us to love our brother because it's compatible with the character and the action of God. It is not a response to Cain's action, but it is a response to God's action. And he initiated the whole thing. You see? That's where we go back. That's why I said, from the beginning. See, to not love our brother is out of line with God's will. Out of line with God's intentions. Out of line with God's initiation. Of all things, it's from the very beginning. And I know that's kind of huge as we try to fathom it. But what strikes me, as I read verse number 11 right here, This is a message which you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. That word should bothers me. Do you know why? It's a potential. (laughs) Potentials always bother me. Number one, in Greek grammar, subjunctive verbs are hard to find. You sit and look at it for the longest time saying, what is that? It just bothers me to find a subjunctive verb anyway. But this subjunctive verb always means potential, 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 which means either I'm going to do it or what? I'm not going to do it. I just can't stand it because it comes back on me. It comes back on my actions, doesn't it? It comes back on my obedience. It comes back on my response. We should, there it is, we should, Love our brother. See, it's possible, but it may not be reality. True? That's our problem. Potentials are dependent upon who we are and what we do. We already saw what Cain was and what he did. Now let's ask something of you and ask something of me. Who are we? Children of God. Believers in Jesus Christ. True? That's where you stand this morning. That's who you are. You're a believer in Jesus Christ. You're a recipient of God's love. What do you do? Uh, You know, that's really the issue here. Because who you are is established. You're a child of God. What you do with that is the big question. That's what he's referring to here. Because to not love our brother is contrary to who we are. True? It's contrary to who we are. And that word, should, strikes me. I'd rather John gave a little more credit than that, wouldn't you? I would rather John, well, I think he knows my heart. We have the command, love one another. We hear the message, love one another. We hear that it must be something we should I would rather he said this is what we did do but he didn't he said it's what we should do I'd like to turn the should into a did wouldn't you second thing that strikes me in this passage verse 16 
We're going to look at this more in a week or so. But what do we know? Notice how verse 16 starts. We know. Isn't that it? We know love by this. <laughs> we don't have excuses, folks. We know it. What are we going to say to him? Lord, I didn't love my brother because I didn't know it. Uh-uh, can't do that. We know. And we know what love looks like, don't we? According to Scripture, it paints it so vividly. What do we know about love? He laid down his life for us. Have you thought about it long enough to realize what a picture of love that is? God so loved us, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's his demonstration of love. Every time you want to know, does God love me? Just look at a cross and know that Christ died there for you. He died on a cross. He laid down his life for us. What do you do with information like that? John tells us what to do in verse 16. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. I imagine there's a lot of different ways that we could define what does that mean, to lay down my life for the brethren. What, what does that mean? I know literally it means to die. Because he's making the comparison with Christ, right? But at least we will say this way. If we are convinced that Jesus loves us by the great sacrifice of his on our behalf, is our brother just as convinced of our love for them? What kind of love ought we to have? Like Christ. If our love is like his, then our brother will be convinced of it just like we are convinced of Christ's love for us. You see the picture? Is your brother convinced that you love him? You know, that's going to take some action, isn't it? It's going to take some doing in order to show. That's a, I think that's why the word should is sitting in the passage like it is. And that's what strikes me about all this. It, it, it bothers me on the first part that I'm supposed to have this love like Christ. I say, well, I, I really desire that. I want that more than anything. But I also look in the mirror and I say, whew. You say, that's, I want to be that. Right? I want to be like Christ. So we set the standard of love. And sometimes we just give up because we say we can't reach that. But that's, that's beyond this point right here. The point is that if I am convinced he loves me, then I should love my brother in the way that he's convinced I love him. That's the manner of it. The kind of love that convinces people of their love for one another. Maybe it's time for another beginning. We've had two beginnings here as we talked through here. But maybe there's a time for another beginning. The beginning for us to do what the Savior has shown us. The beginning for us to erase a should and replace it with a did. That we would... In reality, love our brother. Not the potential, but the reality. That we should love our brother. Now, I really don't know how that might apply to your situation, or the degree that it would challenge your actions, or change your life. I don't know how many people are going through your mind right now. Some of them may be relatives. (laughs) 
Some might be coworkers. Some might be uh, next-door neighbors. You might just have a list of people in your mind and say, you know what, I, I understand that they're my brother in Christ, and I sure haven't been showing them this kind of love. I don't know how this is going to change you. But when I read verse 16, it says, We ought to lay down our lives for the better. You know what ought means? That doesn't mean option, just because it both starts with an O. Alright? Ought is the word for we owe it. We are in debt. We are bound to this. It's not a nice suggestion. It's not even an option. It's not something we treat casually either. That's why I stress this as a daily Christian essential. Start the morning with the understanding, if I am to be like Christ, I must love my brother. Right? I must. I ought to. I owe it. It's my debt. What a great way to start your morning. It will change the rest of your day. We want to be changed. That's why we're studying this passage. We want to be more like Him. So as we go through it again next week, we're going to talk about that love of Christ again. And we're going to make the comparison again. And we're going to ask ourselves, am I more like Him now than I was last week? So now you've got your challenge. Let's ask the Lord's help. Heavenly Father, Your Word stands before us here and it shows us a an incredible negative example, and it shows us an incredible positive example of what love looks like. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you loved us enough to die for us. That you were so willing to give of your life that we might have life. Words cannot express the gratitude from our hearts today for that display. And yet with that comes a responsibility on our part, and the words are in front of us now, of the way we ought to love our brother. We've got to learn this, Lord, and we need your help to to teach us it, to hold us to it, to remind us of it, that we might do it. Work in our hearts this week, this day, this moment, and make us more like you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.